Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of our 7Investing podcast. I'm 7Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson, and there is a digital transformation underway. Companies across the globe are moving to the cloud, and they are embracing big data and analytics to get more insights about their operations and their underlying business. And who better to talk about some of the biggest trends taking place in technology than Matthew Esch, better known to most as Muji, uh, he has been a data architect for several decades. He's also now the founder of his own site, Hypergrowth, which you can see at hypergrowth.com. That's with three H's. Hey, Matthew slash Muji, such a pleasure to have you on our Seven Investing podcast this morning. Hello. It's, it's been a spell since our last one. I think I talked to you about a year ago. It's right. I always like to catch up with you, Matt. I always think, I always think of you as kind of at the forefront of technology. You've got such a thorough understanding of the trends uh, it's always really neat to to catch up with you at least every year or so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, you mentioned I was a data architect and and software developer for decades. Uh, you know, through the rise of you know the Windows platform, through the rise of the internet, and so into web development. And but I've always been had a database focus, and so it's 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 something I finally pivoted towards the the market. You know, instead of just trusting services. I decided to dive in deeper into these platforms and understand, you know, what, what was driving them. And I found I could explain things fairly well from my prior history as a data architect, explaining complex architectures to management and stakeholders, but also to customers. And so, you know, I got somewhere along the line, got, got really good at explaining complex uh, systems. And that's kind of what I've translated to the blog. Absolutely. And I think that that's really important for investors, too, to have a deeper understanding of what's actually taking place out there. So let's de deep dive into several of those topics. I, I do want to talk today about an upcoming IPO that's scheduled for this week. I want to talk a little bit about open source platforms. I want to talk about cybersecurity. But perhaps I might start with a question I think is on everybody's mind. Uh, before we get into the tech side of this conversation, how did you come up with the nickname Muji? It is a nickname from high school. It was a, an odd word that got thrown out by a friend. Another friend latched onto it. And when I went to college, I went to um, CU Boulder in Colorado. Uh, I met all my friends through uh, this, this mutual friend that loved that nickname. And so I became Muji at the time. And you know it's really taken hold when your mother starts using your nickname instead of your, <laughs> your actual name. And so I've been Muji ever since. My, I will say my apologies to Nepalese uh, listeners. I've, I've learned what Muji means in Nepalese, and you can just call me Matt uh, if you're from Nepal. <laughs> Fair enough. We do have some listeners from Nepal, so good to have the disclaimer out there. Uh, Muji, let's, let's, let's kick this off by actually talking about some relevant news of today. Um, tomorrow, a new company called Confluent is scheduled to IPO. And this is a data streaming platform that's built upon an open source platform called Apache uh, Kafka. And it's one that you've been following quite a bit lately. I know you're excited about this IPO, but what can you tell us about Confluent as a business and why are you so interested in this one? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I've been, I've been covering it extensively. I have a premium service on my blog as well as a free side. And so I've been covering it extensively in my, in my um, premium side. Um, co covering what uh, Apache Kafka is as an open source platform, and then uh, taking a look at Confluent through the lens of their S1. And uh, I I've actually used their platform. I've been a Confluent customer in a prior job as a data architect. 
because there's a key need, which is moving your data around between the applications and systems that have to interconnect within your uh, software stack. And so it's a very common need in, in, on the data side of things, uh, which I uh, kind of cover and follow extensively, you know, data and analytics tools. And so uh, Apache Kafka, as you said, is a data streaming or pipelining tool. It's basically a middleware. All your applications will connect to Kafka, regardless of where they live. It can help transport data between systems. And whether that is applications having to talk to each other, whether that is remote sensors collecting data and passing it inward into a database, Kafka can serve as that centralized river of data. And then everything taps into it as streams from there. So all the producers tap in to produce and are kind of the on-ramps of data. And then the off-ramps are the things collecting and following the, the, the individual um, topics that are being published to Kafka. So very vital need. I was really surprised at how well it's done as an open source package. It is absolutely one of the top open source packages in data. And um, I, I, I think from the Confluent S1 and from the uh, Apache Kafka site, 80% uh, of Fortune uh, 100 companies use it. 70% of Fortune 500 companies use it internally. It is vital infrastructure for data movement, especially as your enterprise is larger and larger. You've got more and more segments that you have to exchange data with. You're acquiring new companies through M&A that you need to onboard into your, into your data streams. You've got a global presence where you're, you know, you're in Asia Pacific. You've got factories located other places. You've got retail stores scattered about the globe. Uh, this is perfect for collecting data um, across the globe in a centralized manner. Um, and then what Confluent adds on top of the open source, the, the, the original authors of uh, Apache Kafka at LinkedIn formed Confluent, an enterprise company, exactly as you know, akin to like uh, Elastic's story. They formed an enterprise company to provide more enterprise features on the open source package around security and governance in particular and the reliability of the platform. Um, as well as enterprise support, you know, so that's the entry point for Confluent is it is an open source company akin to Databricks, akin to Elastic, akin to MongoDB that is built around supporting that open source package for enterprise use. And then like those other companies, they have a cloud-based SaaS component where they have managed hosting of that service as well. And to me as a hyper growth investor with a very condensed portfolio, I'm most interested in that cloud aspect of their business because that's where the company can scale more. And so I want to see, you know, extensive growth on the um, cloud platform. And that was what led me to um, uh, my interest in MongoDB and Elastic. Um, I haven't owned them for uh, more than a year now, but you know, back in 2019, I was heavily invested in those companies and following them closely. It's really interesting to see the story on Confluent. You know, when you see the founders describe their business, they call it data in motion. Just like you said, we've built kind of these data silos that were tied to things, thermostats, cars, whatever they might be, that were collecting data. But really more interesting is, is kind of how does that impact in the organization? So the events, the logs, you know, what does that data mean in the bigger picture? And they've kind of built, as you've said, the middleware to kind of compile all of those and make it more relevant. Uh, you mentioned the managed hosting section of this, a cloud-based side of it, which means 
and, and let me let me double click on something you said there with um, MongoDB and Elastic, who have done similar things too. We know that Atlas, you know, MongoDB's database as a service, which is managed within the cloud, has been growing incredibly quickly. How important is the Confluent cloud to the future of this business? Vital. Exactly as with MongoDB, I expect a, a similar arc with um, Confluent that MongoDB and Elastic had with their cloud solutions, which would be Atlas and Elastic Cloud. And so, um, you know, I want them to drive more into that usage-based pricing and um, get their enterprise customers away from self-managed clusters and they can do it for them. And they started adding, uh, Confluent in particular, uh, had a internal project called Project Metamorphosis over the last year. And so, you know, at the same time the pandemic hit and they were um, restricting hiring, you know, kind of um, letting the, uh, the foot off the gas with hiring and sales initiatives, they did at least take the year to uh, reinvest in the development of their enterprise platform and in specifically to enhance some features of the cloud-based service, or if you are um, self-managed your own instance in the cloud as well, you can take benefit of some of these things. Um, and in particular, they added tiered storage, which decouples storage from the Kafka brokers, which is the server side of, of Kafka. Um, that's a vital. Uh, as a Kafka user, you know, Kafka is, as, as a middleware, it's asynchronous as all the um, individual pieces, parts are interconnecting and exchanging data through it, whether it's producing or, or uh, consuming that data. They're coming and going as they need. It can be batch processes that are happening hourly. It could be real-time connections that are getting every single record as it appears. Um, it retains the data on the platform as long as you need. It's configurable. And this tiered storage allows a decoupling of storage from the inner exchange of data. And I, I see a lot of potential with that, um, in particular around uh, machine learning, where you can have a historical data set being stored in an underlying cloud storage, which would be S3, Azure Blob. Uh, what tiered storage allows is, is, is storing, using that as a long-term archive that it can tap into. And it can play back data from that archive or can play back the real-time stream as it always has done. And with machine learning, you know, you can immediately see the benefit there is that you can train on the historical data that's stored in the underlying object store and then turn around that um, machine learning model and be doing um, analytics over the real-time stream from there. And so it really does improve the analytical capabilities of Confluent. And then they also added some... Um, what's called cluster linking, which is global replication of your data across different data sets. This is going to help them across, uh, in multi-cloud and on-prem, uh, so hybrid cloud environments where you need to exchange data from an on-prem cluster to a cloud one, or you need to exchange data between AWS and Azure because there's two different segments of your company use those different products, or you're using different um, features across those or you acquired a company that uses Azure and you're an AWS shop, you could be inter-exchanging data across your clusters that way. So they really improved the enterprise features uh, over this past year, um, brought it up to snuff with a competing open source platform that's starting to gain a little traction called Apache Pulsar. And, but, but you know, by far, Apache Kafka is the winner. Confluent will be a winner. 
It's just, I, you know, I need to see them focus on that cloud service exactly as MongoDB did with Atlas. Perfect. And, and so it sounds with this managed hosting and kind of this transition, it's more of a service than a product, right? Like for people that don't have either a huge IT budget to build it themselves, or they don't have the talent of data architects like yourself, Muji, to, to build these things. I mean, they, they want to hand this off to somebody uh, like Confluent to do it for them. And then they say, okay, let's, let's charge us, you know, on a usage base, on a, on a monthly basis to get up and running what it is that we want to do. You're actually butting up against where I'd like to see them go because with all these open source companies, they're providing infrastructure. And so with their managed service, they're providing managed infrastructure for you. I can host your Kafka, it, it, Kafka Confluent Cloud hosts the Kafka cluster wherever you need it in whatever cloud provider you need it in. Uh, and even on-prem, you know, then that's their, um, you know, self-managed side, but they can give you tools to uh, install a cluster with Kubernetes, for instance, and ease the, the pain of setting things up. However, I would like to see them go into that managed service versus managed infrastructure where it's no longer the, the customer. It, it, it's a little more turnkey from the customer's perspective. I don't need to be fiddling with um, configuration options. I just need to say, I need this cluster. It needs to have this capacity in this cloud. And then you just hook all the agents up into it. And so I do. I, I think that's the ultimate path for Confluent. Um, unlike, I mean, Elastic starting to do that, I guess I'd say unlike MongoDB. Um, uh, so, you know, ease of use, less IT staff to not only install it, which you save with Confluent Cloud, there's no installation, but you don't have to manage it too. You don't have to, to tune it. And it, it is a very high maintenance um, software over time. So I'd like to just see them erase all that, <laughs> make it a managed service versus managed infrastructure ultimately. So transitioning that to the next topic I want to ask you about is, is it seems like anything that is at a, as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, whatever as a service, like we were just discussing, is still built upon kind of this oligopoly of the cloud service providers, right? You're probably working mm -hmm. in one of three or four different ecosystems that, that everyone's familiar with, which is great. It makes you more profitable. You don't have to worry about building the infrastructure yourself. But on the other hand, we've seen a lot of these types of companies that we just mentioned competing against those cloud titans later on. Uh, you mentioned Elasticsearch, which put out a kind of a, a report that they weren't so happy about one of the things that, that one of those cloud service providers was copying of them. We know that MongoDB with their document uh, databases was competing against one of them who was wanting to launch their own document database. Um, how do you think about the relationship with Confluent or any of these companies that's built upon cloud infrastructure with those cloud service providers themselves? Yeah, it was, it, it, you just reminded me of a, uh, a blog post. I, I, I think it was by Elastic's CEO titled AWS, not okay. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't understand AWS's stance here. Uh, clearly, Microsoft and Google are not copying that stance. They are more likely to partner with those um, experts of open source and and allow, you know, and better integrate with their uh, cloud solutions. You know, so Microsoft and Google are both partnering with Elastic, both partnering with Confluent in order to stand those up. Now, they also have competing um kind of messaging as a service platforms. You've got uh, PubSub, 
which is pu publish, subscribe, the, the whole uh, underlying kind of paradigm of Kafka, you've got competing services on those native platforms. Where any company like Kafka benefits is that they're cloud agnostic, you know, so they can, if, if you're going to use Kinesis on a part of your application to talk between AWS components, such as a Lambda function and um, uh, a hosted Dynamo DB, um, you know, you can use Kinesis to, to, to intercommunicate between your Amazon portions, but you can't use it outside of Amazon. And so, you know, the whole value prop of Kafka is that it's, it's, works across all those things. It's the river across clouds. Um, um, and so, you know, there's a lot of value to that, um, much less of the experts and built the software. The um, Amazon is just, it, it likes to, it wants to eat the margin. You know, it wins either way. It wins the more Elastic Cloud is successful, the more Atlas is successful, the more Confluent Cloud is successful. But they want to eat those margin points and provide a managed hosted hosting for those and did it with all three of them. It had a managed MongoDB service. It had a managed Elastic service. It had a managed um, Kafka service in retaliation to AWS's kind of aggression on that front, meaning it's basically just taking open source software and hosting it as a service and profiting on it without re-contributing back into the open source software itself. Um, and with Elastic, they took a, a very <laughs> drastic turn with their, um, their uh, I forget what it was called, Open, open Search or Open Elastic uh, Initiative. Um, but they, uh, you know, after they, they stood up, it was a matter of weeks until after Amazon stood up um, managed Kafka service and hosting that Confluent changed its licensing. And so all of them back in, you know, I wanna say 2018, uh, changed their licensing scheme specifically in to uh, retaliate against AWS. And they weren't so uh, vocal about which particular company at the time. Um, and I'm sure there were, there were some Chinese clouds uh, doing it as well, but um, you know, it was in specific retaliation to AWS creating these services. And so they all changed their licensing on the open source model to um, prevent, they, they branched from um, what was Apache version two licensing, which is you know open source for all. Any new features that these companies created from that point were under their either community or enterprise licenses from there. And so they all started community licenses, <coughs> which is basically, we're gonna be Apache-like open source, but we're going to prevent you from standing this up as a managed SaaS service in, in direct competition with us, the founders of this company. And so I, 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 I love open source. I was an extensive open source user in my role as data architect. I'm not surprised by this move. It, it was, um, it was, uh, more than rude of AWS <laughs> to basically try to erase their businesses as it's done with countless, uh, you know, folks on the uh, e-commerce side. And so, um, you know, it's just an, a, an aggressive company that way. And so it's, uh, you know, they really had no choice. They, in order for their business to remain afloat and for this open source package to continue to be relevant from here and be supported from here, 
and have new features added from here besides community added features, their company had to remain profitable. And so I, you know, there's a lot of purists out there with, with open source. I, 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 I'm not that, uh, I, I, I think they made the right move with their licensing. And as an investor in these companies, absolutely they made the right move in this company because it, it keeps their companies relevant and keeps the open source project alive. So it's really long- interesting. Yeah. Muji, I've gotten definitely a more of an appreciation for these community licenses through reading your blog. You know, it's something I don't think that's really appreciated, but then you kind of see the impact to Hortonworks who built upon the Hadoop open source platform. And then you ended up merging with Cloudera because they needed enterprise support. They need to make some money eventually from something like this. You see uh, MongoDB who, who built Atlas off, as a managed service, you know, off of an open source. Uh, but then, you know, we saw the resignation of Elliot Horowitz, the CTO just a, last year um, because of kind of direct competition from some of the cloud providers. This is changing the relationship in an interesting way between kind of these building blocks, right? It is. And, and, you know, I can't fault the, the cloud providers for providing their own solution. It was taking the raw open source and just straight up, we're just going to manage this for you. You can still maintain all the infrastructure parts of it and the configuration and such. But, and, and their services, uh, Amazon's in particular, w- weren't that good. It's, it's managed Elasticsearch and managed Kafka service was just, it's, we're, we're going to throw up a, a, a cluster for you. It basically just automates using EC2 and standing it up yourself. And so, the services were not really anything special. Um, Cloudera is a little bit of a, a, a different case. Uh, you know, where Cloudera, I think, faltered, uh, you know, brilliant move with Hadoop in general. It was a, uh, you know, game-changing, paradigm-changing um, way to do analytics, which was separation of storage and compute. Um so, you know, you had storage as HDFS, and then the compute was all kinds of uh, that ecosystem of products that existed on Hadoop. Where Cloudera, the company, was slow was the cloud. It was, again, an extensively complex system to stand up and then manage going forward from there. You had to manage user access rights. You had to manage, you know, all your um, kind of commodity systems that you were adding into the pool of systems that, that Hadoop was running on. It was uh, it was a, a nightmare to 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 run, and so it required an extensive IT team to manage and set up, much less the underlying costs of the hardware and things like that. Um, they were slow to adopt the cloud model of where they could just you could run uh, Hadoop in the cloud as a managed service, and Amazon I think really ate into their uh, entire. Uh, um, existence because of the managed Hadoop service that they provided. And so, um, you know, they were just slow to go to cloud from the on-prem mentality. I think that's where all the other open source kind of data related systems like Confluent, like Mongo, were paying attention and realized that, you know, folks don't want to run this themselves. They just want to stand it up and immediately use it and not have, you know, have it be as frictionless as possible and are willing to pay for that um, because guess what? It's pretty much the same costs and maybe even lower than standing up all the hardware. You always have to overbuy the hardware because you wanna have as much capacity as your peak usage. And so, you know, you had a lot of idle hardware sitting around cause you're not running at peak most of the time, but then you had to manage it going forward. That was, you know, the, the hidden costs of the total cost of ownership of these systems was the fact that you had to do 
you had to patch the underlying operating system. You had to patch the, the, um, the, the database itself. You had to have ongoing maintenance with some of these things internally within the database systems like Elastic. You had to run optimization techniques. Um, you had to archive old data. You know, so it, it required um, a lot of handholding in general, uh, all of these systems. And so I think that's, that's kind of why I mentioned with Confluent, I'd like to see them go to a managed service versus managed infrastructure. The more levers and knobs that they can take away from, from users, it makes it more and more frictionless to use these things. And then they adopted a pay-as-you-go model and, and usage-based uh, billing on Confluent Cloud with some discounts for annual commitment. And I think that's a great uh, stance to take um, and, and I think that's ultimately where they're going to go. Elastic went even a step further. They, they not only created managed SaaS services, much less their um, enterprise, uh, you know, self-managed um, uh, licensing and support, but they uh, started to spin out uh, individual SaaS services for a managed service where you didn't, ha you didn't care about the infrastructure at all. You didn't even care that it was Elasticsearch under the hood you could throw in and tie in your entire enterprise's uh, website, your entire enterprise's tool set and have search over it. You could be searching over Slack and GitHub and emails per user with each user having their own search, you know, uh, visibility rights over the content. Um, those managed services are, are, were an exciting addition for Elastic. I don't, know if they've made full use of that direction but I, I think that's a good direction for these open source companies to take is starting to build managed services versus managed infrastructure and it's certainly beneficial not just for the cost but also the ease of use if somebody doesn't have to configure everything like you just mentioned themselves just say hey take care of this for us we want to get up and running let me use that as a transition to our next topic which is usage-based pricing uh, because the cloud is now gaining adoption you've got services like confluent and others that we just mentioned uh, getting getting companies up and running in the cloud quickly, it seems that we've yeah. seen a transition in how a lot of these businesses are charging their customers for those services. Used to be kind of the famous, you know, per seat model, right? How many users do you have times how many months you put in a license together and then you just kind of get paid for the year or three years, however long the, the term runs. Uh, we're seeing a lot of that much more, as you just mentioned, into usage-based pricing, not just with Confluent, but with other companies too. Twilio is doing this. Uh, we know that uh, Splunk has adopted this. We know that Fastly has adopted this. Uh, Snowflake is usage-based. This seems to be the new metric to look at if you're investing in this space. How do you think about that? Do, is that a metric you're also interested in, Muji? Or is there other ways that we can get insight into how these businesses are, are doing out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely a separate class of SaaS, you know, versus the... Um, you know, per user or, you know, even like per system pricing of something like Datadog observability platforms. Um, but typically things are uh, around per user for a service like Okta um, and cybersecurity is pretty heavily per user. Um, what with usage-based, you basically have this class of uh, SaaS company that is a toll booth to me. And so they built up something uh, of value and the more you use it, the more you pay. Um, and like I mentioned, Confluent is starting to go that pay-as-you-go method. It's fairly new for them. But again, it kind of reduces the friction. You don't have to worry about the uh, underlying infrastructure so much. Um, but companies like Snowflake, as you mentioned, Twilio, uh, Fastly, 
are all usage-based companies that are marking up, um, you know, the, uh, whatever it costs them to provide the underlying platform. Now, the key to understand these companies is that they pay what I call the infrastructure tax to the underlying architecture that they sit upon. And so with Snowflake, that's, you know, all three cloud vendors. With Twilio, that's the, um, you know, the, the intercommunication network that they built with telcos and they have to pay telcos. Um, you know, Fastly, it's providing bandwidth and marking up from there. So it's, um, it's what I watch for with these companies is I want to see them as they scale up as a, a, with success of their company is that I want to see them paying fewer gross margin or I want to see gross margin going up, I should say. I want to see them paying less infrastructure tax. So to me, that means the operating leverage of the company is increasing. So as they get more and more efficient, I want to see that reflected in the underlying financials of the company. So that's the metric I watch the most with these companies is gross margin. And with Snowflake, I want to see that slowly ticking up. And that's exactly what it's doing. It certainly makes a lot of sense. You want to see that that operating leverage, um, as you just mentioned. Another common metric, kind of when we look a bit about these uh, software as a service companies, is net dollar based retention rates, right? How much are you getting from your customers or the sales that you're getting from existing clients uh, this year versus last year? We've seen some of those. I mean, it used to be Muji that 110% was pretty good. A 10% growth was was now now we're seeing companies like Snowflake hitting 150, 160% dollar-based retention rates. That means that I think the cloud is, is getting some pretty good adoption out there. Yes, actually, I should have mentioned that as the other metric I look at is NRR or, or uh, NER, net retention rate, net expansion rate, whichever they're reporting, um, you know, whether it factors in churn or not is basically the main difference there. And you want to look at the notes in, in, in the filing and make sure you, you understand what is exactly being reported. But in general, I look at uh, net retention rate, and absolutely you want to see that uh, above 120% or more because, again, this is a usage-based driven company. So besides gross margin going up, uh, I, I, I want to see land and expand. So at NRR is the expand part. Existing customers are spending more and more as time goes on, but I also want to see a lot of customer growth. Is this does this service have wide applicability in something like Twilio? You know, it, 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 every app needs communication methods and they're serving as, you know, the communication cloud now. And so you're going to tie into them for communication services. And so their customer growth remains incredibly high as more and more apps get developed, more and more developers appear. Um, and, and then as those apps get more and more success that, and grow as an app or a service, that's where the net retention rate should be seen too, that you see usage rising over time. There's switching costs that, that appear after after amount, amount of time. You're getting more and more value as you're using this. You're paying more for that, but you're also deriving a lot more benefit of it as a client. reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.